On this day, the 24th of March, in 1603, that's long before any of us were around, I think, Queen Elizabeth I died. And that made James VI of Scotland become James I of England and Ireland. I don't know about Wales. You know, they were in there somewhere too. But that was his title. The Tudors' reign had ended. And it was now time for the Stuarts. Even if the Act of Union was still just over 100 years away, um, there being a union of the crowns, of Scotland and England brought a a gentle shift towards a concept of a united kingdom with a common purpose. I grew up near the border. My hometown is uh, just six miles North of the border. Sometimes I say it's just six miles the right side of the border, uh, but I have to maybe watch what I say here with regards to that. I am Scottish. My cousins, born 20 miles away, are English. They were born in Carlisle. 416 years on from being one king in Great Britain, my cousins and I speak with different accents quite noticeably. When some years ago we went to school, we had different education systems, as they still do in Scotland and England. Different names for the exams. The national churches have different structures and different relationships with the crown. The legal systems have different laws and work slightly differently. We grew up close in a country that is one but yet not one. That said, we had in our childhoods a common experience of being British citizens, watching television that was broadcast from the same transmitter, and of course having the same granny who would knit jumpers for our Christmas presents and use her sewing machine to make us pairs of trousers. The idea of being one family, whatever our background, whatever those differences in there, we are joined as one, is kind of the first part of Paul's message here. We are together 
all from different walks of life, but yet one, one united people. And he's writing to a community that is of a slightly mixed heritage, isn't he? The church in Corinth will have some that were Jews and some who were Gentiles. It brings both those people together into one united people. A common life in Christ. He says they have shared experience and talks of the Exodus journey. Though, of course, the Christians whose heritage is Greek would not actually have had ancestors that went on that trip, who fled Egypt, who were led by the fiery cloud, who passed through the Red Sea, who ate manna and ate their drinking water, uh, drank their drinking water from a rock. That said, it is likely that the Greek believers know the story. And so Paul is using the wilderness, this understanding that the Israelites heritage gave them as a metaphor concerning all that have come to Christ. That thing that happened that had a common heritage for the Jews is being used as a common heritage but slightly different for the Christian, for the church. We are each rescued from slavery, the slavery of sin. We are baptised in the name of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We are fed with one spiritual yet physical meal. And the Spirit guides us onwards. We are one family that of God who blesses, nourishes and refreshes us for the journey ahead. But like the Israelites, we don't always make the journey easy for ourselves. Just as believers in Jesus choose to become a Christian... The Israelites who had gone on that journey so many hundred years earlier had chosen to travel, chosen to go forth from Egypt. Moses had not forced anyone to leave. They went willingly. They desired to go. They wanted change. And so they set off for the promised land, the land said to be flowing with milk and honey. But it didn't take long that some started to moan and groan that things were better back in Egypt. 
Weren't there any graves in Egypt that we had to come here? While Moses communes with God on Sinai, the people sinned in making a golden calf. Even Moses is not as faithful as God would have had him be. And the wandering nature, that although we have a common purpose, a common direction, is still true today. When we discover how hard the journey can be, that it's not necessarily easy to be a believer, we can try and choose to take shortcuts. We might make our own false idols. We might let others serve the Lord while we do our own thing. And we might forget about being a thankful people and cease to be true to the commitments that we made when we were baptised or to what we declared when we were confirmed into membership of the church. The one church, holy, catholic, apostolic. As God's people, we must endeavour to live as God's people. We cannot think simply because we come to church and worship God, that we lift our voices in song, that we are being faithful to him. It's not the words that are coming out of the mouth. It's what's happening in our heart that is the issue. It is how we shape our lives so that we reflect the loving, sacrificial nature of our Lord Jesus that truly matters. And we are not always honest in how we live that life. The examples that Paul gives to the church in Corinth of unfaithfulness by the Israelites and by inference things that they were guilty of too, sexual immorality or being idolaters of grumbling against God's way are but examples of what he is talking about and not the complete list. That's not it. It's not simply there and that's boom, just these things. He's saying to them, put your life in order. These are given here so that we can be aware and we can avoid getting tripped up as others have in the past. On the journey in the wilderness, those who got lost and turned from the path died. Paul is seeking to ensure that those family members now on the journey of faith travel safely and stick to God's way. 
They stay on the path. They follow the way ahead. Now, in the church, since the Victorian era, whenever we've come to a passage like this, we've been hung up on the particular topic of sexual sin. We tend to focus on that one. We forget about the others. This is perhaps because it's the one that it's easy to point to. And one that maybe most of us manage to avoid. But it is but one of the examples. Only one of the examples in the text. And those who repeatedly use it to point the finger at other sins might need to take the plank out of their own eye. And consider their own faithfulness to be people of love, of truth, and of justice. We need to always remember how Jesus in the temple courtyard, before seeing the widow put her might into the offering, teach the disciples, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. They have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at the banquets. They devour the widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. We know that those teachers of the law thought they were living right. But in fact, they failed to live with justice and compassion. Paul makes us think of whether we are like those teachers of the law. In verse 12, it says, So if you think you are standing firm, Be careful that you don't fall. Yet, as I say, that the church has tended to focus on that bit of sexual immorality. I don't want you to get me wrong. In whatever form we are not living as God intended us to be, we must repent of sin and turn from whatever evil is in our lives and be true to the promise to be part of the church. However much we like to think that we are right However much we like to think we are strong, we are in fact weak and frail humans. We get things wrong. We do give in to temptation. Paul tells us that we are able, however, to resist. And able to resist 
whatever we may be tempted with. But yet we do give in. We sin. Our sin, although it causes separation, although we could have resisted that sin, it's not the end of the story. It brings a parting between us and God, but that divide can be bridged. We sin, but Christ Jesus came among us that we may know the Father's deep, deep love for us. That we can be forgiven by our trust in Jesus and by his body broken and his blood shed. It is in Christ and what he has done for us that we can be made new, that we can be one people. Whatever our background, whatever our experience of life, whatever our sin, we can come back to him. Whatever change has occurred, that change can be sorted. And through Jesus, the Christ, we can be adopted into God's royal family. We all get to wear the robes and have a crown in the presence of the King of Kings. So let us learn to be faithful to him. Let us endeavour to resist the temptation that we face. And let us know that when we have sinned, he is standing there, waiting to welcome us home. For with outstretched arms, he shows his love. Thank you, King of Kings. Amen.